have questions? Do you need answers? The Pastor Study will help you find those answers through God's Word. Our teacher today is Pastor Tom Brock. The Pastor Study is sponsored by pastorstudy.org. So grab your Bible and join us for The Pastor Study. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. I believe it was Martin Luther who said, if you want to protect yourself from heresy, that means false teaching, know the Lord's Prayer. What we're going to do on this program and for the next few weeks, we're going to slowly go word by word through the Lord's Prayer and learn all that we can about God. In fact, today we're only going to get through the words, Our Father who art in heaven. That's all the further we'll get today. But let's slowly go through and learn about God from the Lord's Prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. Let's pray first. God, our Father, as we do talk about today the fatherhood of God in the Lord's Prayer, we would pray that you would bring a deep, intimate, close relationship between you and us, Lord. If, if people are drifting and they have a very distant relationship, Lord, Reveal your fatherhood to each one of us and speak to us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, the first word today is the word our. And I want you to notice all the plurals in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, give us our bread, forgive us our trespasses, lead us not into temptation. All the plurals in the Lord's Prayer teach that every Christian is to be part of the church. You're not supposed to try to be a Christian by yourself. You're to be part of an hour, a plural. You're supposed to be around other Christians. And if you're not part of a church, are you a Christian? I mean, here's a lady that uh, calls me, Pastor Brock, I want you to baptize my baby. Okay, uh, you know, I really don't know who you are. Do you go to church? No, I don't go to church, but I want you to baptize my baby. Well, you know, part of the baptismal uh, service is you promising you're going to raise this child in the church. Oh, the, the Bible never says you have to go to church. Yes, it does. Hebrews chapter 10, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And, well, that was kind of the end of that conversation. But um, the word our means a few things. Number one, it means there are no Lone Ranger Christians. You cannot be a Christian by yourself. You need to have other Christians around you to be part of the body of Christ, to have a healthy, deep, real relationship with God. You know, here's a couple at a funeral. I always preach at funerals that because sometimes the only time people go to church is at funerals. So I kind of hit the big one. I say, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to join a church. You need to go regularly. Well, this couple comes up afterwards. Well, we, we're Christians, but we never go to church. We watch it on TV. Now, wait a minute. One of the reasons we go to church is to serve the Lord in some way. Can you serve a TV set? Can you get Holy Communion out of a TV set? Can you get deep Christian fellowship out of a TV set? No, you can't. You know, if you're watching this TV show and you think this is church, think again. You need to find a Christian congregation and go every Sunday. The other thing the word our means of the Our Father, our means there are no excuses for not being in a church. 
Well, you know, Pastor, the priest said something that hurt my feelings 15 years ago, and I haven't been in church for 15 years. And when I hear that kind of talk, you know what I think of saying? Get over it. <laughs> I've been a pastor 31 years. Do you think my feelings have been hurt a few times by some snooty Christians? Yeah, but later in the Lord's Prayer it says, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And if you're using something that happened in church 15 years ago as your eternal excuse not to go to church, that one's not going to work on Judgment Day. And the other thing, this is a big one, the other thing the word our means in the Our Father, there is power in group prayer. The, the, our, the Lord's Prayer was meant to be prayed in public. Our Father, forgive us our trespasses. You can say it alone, and I do, but it's meant to be said in public. And so I asked the question, did the early church pray in groups? And when they did, what happened? And, and it's rather amazing. Listen to this. Acts chapter 1. Jesus goes into heaven. It's called the Ascension. And for 10 days the church prays. And what happens? What's the result? Pentecost and, and 3,000 people get saved. Then you go to Acts chapter 2. They're having another prayer meeting in Acts chapter 2. And what are the results? It says, fear came upon all and there were signs and wonders. Then in Acts chapter 4, they're having another group prayer meeting. And it says, the place was shaken. All were filled with the Holy Spirit. There was bold witnessing. In Acts chapter 6, they're having another prayer meeting for the deacons. And the result, conversions. Then in Acts chapter 12, they're praying for Peter who's in prison. And what's the result? An angel goes and gets Peter out of prison. He knocks on the door and interrupts their prayer meeting. Uh, Acts chapter 13, there's prayer and fasting going on. Uh, and what's the result? The Holy Spirit says, send out Paul as a missionary, and the Roman Empire gets evangelized. They're having a prayer meeting in Acts uh, chapter 16. Paul and Silas are in prison praying together. And what was the result? An earthquake comes, knocks down the prison. They get saved from uh, death, and the jailer becomes a Christian that night. So my point is, the word our means there is power in group prayer. Don't be a Christian all by yourself. Get into a good church. Get people praying for you. Amazing things happen. Next word, our Father. Do you realize, sadly, tragically, God the Father is under attack today in the Christian church. Sadly, feminism has invaded the more liberal, mainline Protestant denominations. In some churches, you can go there for weeks and never hearing the words, God the Father. Because that's sexist. We don't want to think God is masculine. So let's get rid of God the Father and talk about God the Creator. I mean, beware of a pastor who opens a service not in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier. Why? He's trying to get rid of masculine God language. Listen, Jesus taught us to pray God our Father. Jesus knows more than your pastor or priest. We don't correct Jesus Christ. I mean, there are some pastors that are going as wacko as they, they've changed the Lord's Prayer into our Father and Mother who art in heaven. No, you don't. I mean, if I want to get good and angry and get material for our heresy update on our radio show, I'll take a slow drive through United Theological Seminary in New Brighton, Minnesota. It's a United Church of Christ seminary. It's hyper-liberal. You walk into their campus, you walk into their building, they have about seven paintings up of the divine feminine, white, 
buffalo woman. They take some god from Native American spirituality. Then they've got about seven different images of the divine feminine. Some of them worship the goddess Sophia over there. Why? Because they're into feminism more than they are into the teaching of the Lord's Prayer. I mean, years ago, our church was going to worship with the Catholic Church. And the feminist nun wanted to de-sex the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures. No, got to get rid of that. Praise God all creatures. here. And we kind of locked horns and we did it the way the church has always done it. Because you don't change the way Jesus taught us to talk about God. Now, was God literally a male? No, I mean, I don't think God has genitals or something like that. But Jesus taught us to pray to our Father. We don't have the right to improve upon him. Next thing to say about the word father, it points to the great need we have for a father. St. Augustine, writing way back in the 400s, talked about the God-shaped vacuum in every human heart, and the only thing that fills that per perfectly is God. You can put drugs and sex and money and looks, and you can put all this other stuff in there, but it rattles. The only thing that perfectly fills the God-shaped vacuum in the human heart is God the Father. I saw a bus uh, advertisement that said, everyone needs a father who art in heaven. We have a deep need for God the Father. Don't try to take God the Father away. <laughs> you know, a few years ago, I went to a Lutheran church for a Lenten service. And it had, happened to have a woman feminist preacher that night. And she got up and she preached. You know, a woman came to me for counseling. And she had a bad relationship with her father. So I said to her, you know, you probably have a hard time relating to God as your father, given your earthly father. So instead, why don't you just pray to our mother who art in heaven? And I heard that and I thought, I mean, here's a dear woman who definitely leads a loving, wonderful father. We can offer God to her as her father, and this feminist pastor just took him away. <laughs> Oy. The next thing the word father means, we can pray to God intimately. You know what the word Abba means? Jesus prayed to Abba and said we could. Abba means daddy. Have you ever prayed daddy in heaven? You can pray that way. I mean, sometimes people approach God like they're talking to the Wizard of Oz. Oh, though thou mighty, oh, thou who dost. And, uh, yeah. No, Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father. Be intimate with him. Tell him everything. He knows anything every, anyway. You can have an intimate, close relationship with God. Just talk to him like he would, you would to a loving father. Now, let's stop here and ask this question, though, about God the Father. Is God everybody's father? One of my least favorite Christmas songs is, and the, the, the song doesn't mention Jesus, it goes like this, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me, with God as our Father, brothers all are we. Now wait a minute, is that true? Are we all brothers? Is God everybody's Father? No, He isn't. Listen, follow this. God is everybody's Creator. He made us all but he's not everybody's father. And I get this from the words of Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 8 to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. Paul says in Ephesians 2, we are all by nature children of wrath. We're born evil. We're children of God's anger. So how do we get God as our father if he's not? The answer is adoption. We have to be adopted. 
Uh, we get this from Galatians 4. God sent forth Jesus, his son. Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, in order that Jesus might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. So is God everybody's father? No. You need to get adopted. Let's talk about adoption for a minute. This is a true story. The year was about 1900, turn of the century. There was a little seven-year-old boy who was an orphan who sold newspapers in downtown Chicago. One day he wandered outside of downtown Chicago, found himself in a very wealthy suburb. He's standing in front of this huge mansion looking up, and he thinks, boy, would I like to live in that house. And after a moment, he found himself standing on the green grass. Oh, what a house. Would I like to live here? And after a moment, the little boy found himself ringing the doorbell. Um, a very stately woman answered the door. Um, yes, son, may I help you? Oh, what a house you've got. Would I like to live in a house like this? P play on your big green lawn. I'd love it if... Uh, lady, do you have a little boy? Well, the woman called upstairs to her husband. Honey, please come down here. I want you to see something. And, and this, the husband came downstairs. And she said, you know, honey, this little boy's name is Lucky. He says he wants to come be our son. What do you think? And, and the father said, well, you know, little boy, Mrs. Lowry and I, we can't have children, so we don't have any children. But they fell in love with this little boy. The story is, that day, they went down to the county courthouse. They adopted him as their own son. They brought him back to their home, got rid of his raggedy clothes, gave him a bath, gave him a new set of clothes. And that little boy on the porch went on to become Dr. Lucas Lowry, a, a prominent physician in the city of Chicago. <laughs> That's how we get saved. Now listen, you and I are not children of God to begin with. We're born children of <coughs> wrath, children of the devil. But one day God saw us on his porch and he said, I'll bring you in my house. I'll wash you of your sins. I'll give you a new set of clothes, the righteousness of Christ. And from now on, you're my child and I'm your dad. That happened to you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Not everybody is God's child. The, uh, Galatians says, we become adopted through faith in Jesus Christ. Are you there? Have you put your faith in Christ? Then God is your loving Father. Last words. Our Father, who art in heaven. Now, the words our Father stress God's imminence, that he's close to us. The words who art in heaven stress his transcendence, that is, that he's separate from us. So, so let's uh, follow this, please. The word holy, when we say God is holy, literally the word holy means set apart, separate from. And as Christians, we believe God is the creator of all, and however, he's still separate from all. In other words, God is not the trees and the flowers. He's not you. He's not Oprah. He's not Shirley MacLaine. He art in heaven. And that's important to stress because, again, we preached about this some time ago. The New Age movement has invaded the American culture. Lots of people think they are Christ. They are the Christ consciousness. They are God. To which the Lord's Prayer says, no, no, no. Our Father art in heaven. He's separate from us. He's different from us. All right, let's summarize. What have we learned? 
our means every Christian is to be part of the church. Don't be a lone ranger Christian. Get into a good church every Sunday. Get the power of group prayer. Our Father. God is not distant. He's not the Wizard of Oz. When you pray, you can pray intimately to him. He's your Father. Our Father who art in heaven. He made the trees in the ocean. He is not the trees in the ocean. He's transcendent, separate from us. That is what we learn from the Lord's Prayer. We'll do part two next week. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. This is the portion of the show where you can send in questions for Pastor Brock and we'll air them on another show. At the end of the program, you're going to see our website and that would be the place to go and visit and leave your questions. Pastor Brock, can you explain ethical relativism? in the church today? Ethical relativism is the teaching that everything is relative. What was wrong 20 years ago might not be wrong today. And I'll give you a few examples of it. Every church used to believe that abortion was wrong. Now you've got the Episcopal Church in America, the United Church of Christ, and some others are part of the Religious Coalition for Abortion Rights. They think God thinks abortion is a good thing in certain, certain, certain circumstances. That's ethical relativism. Another example, you have the Presbyterian Church USA, the Episcopal Church in America, the UCC, United Church of Christ, and the, and the Lutheran, ELCA Lutheran Church, all now, some recently, have decided that homosexual behavior is not a sin anymore. Now, it's always been a sin. The Bible says it's a sin. But in recent years, oh, I guess it isn't as long as you love each other. Again, it's called ethical relativism. Instead of the absolute truth of the Bible, it's whatever. And, and a, a last one is premarital sex, Jackie. I mean, the Bible is taught fornicators will not go to heaven, 1 Corinthians 6. Today, lots of people live in sin, and pastors aren't saying a word about it. And even I, I know of a couple who said to me, you know, when we got married years ago, I said to our pastor, look, I suppose you should know that we've been living together. He said, best thing you could do to make sure you're compatible. First uh -huh. Corinthians 6 says you won't go to heaven. This pastor says it's the best thing you can do. This is called ethical relativism, where they think they can change the truth. That's what it is. <laughs> okay, Pastor Brock, does God always heal Christians if they ask with enough faith? No. And I'll... Again, you see a lot of TV preachers that if, I mean, I saw Gloria Copeland, wife of Kenneth Copeland, not my favorite TV preachers, and she was basically saying, you're a child of God, you have the right to this, when, by his stripes you are healed, and that's the most misquoted verse of the Bible. That is talking about our salvation, it's not talking about your lumbago. Now, does God heal? I believe he does. We, we do James chapter 5 in the church, anointing people with oil for healing, and, and God has done miracles. Do we demand that he do it every single time and that if you don't get it, you don't have enough faith? That's just, you know, Jackie. Um, now, when Elisha became sick of the illness of which he was to die, Elisha raised people from the dead in the Old Testament. Nothing was wrong with his faith. And the other one I quote, you've heard this, First Timothy. Timothy, take a little wine for the sake of your frequent stomach ailments. He says, take your medicine. He doesn't say, why are you sick? Why, why don't you have more faith? He says, take your medicine. So, I mean, I've, I've had people say, Pastor, I do have faith in Jesus, and I'm still not healed, but they told me something's wrong with my faith. And I, and I basically said, they're wrong. But this is the prosperity gospel. How about ultimate healing, though? That's ultimate healing good. is the fact that even though we die, if we have Christ, 
Amen. That is the ultimate Amen. goal. Amen. You know, God, it doesn't say all, God will heal all our diseases. It doesn't say he'll do it all this side of heaven. Right. You're right, Jackie. The ultimate healing is when we go to heaven. Okay. Is it all right for a person who is a Christian to go to a secular counselor? I would say with great care. I mean, some, I, I would highly encourage people to go to Christian counseling centers, where, and, and a lot of insurance will pay for them. So just check that out first. If your insurance will only pay for a secular counselor, I mean, I think God, God can use your Jewish or agnostic uh, psychologist to give you great help. But so, so yeah, just be careful. Cause, but I remember a pastor telling me he sent one of the women of his church to a secular psychologist, and his advice was to the woman, maybe you need to have an affair. That might be the best thing for your marriage. So be careful. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> this is a tough question. Does God punish children for their parents' sins? Okay, good one. I think the answer is no. Let me show you the verse, Numbers 14. The Lord does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. So it sounds like yes from that. But you've got to put all the scriptures together. I think what that means is you as a child a field, can feel the effects of your grandfather's sin. I mean, if grandpa was a heavy drinker and he passed it on to his kids, your dad, and he passed it on to you, you can feel the effects of this. But then you get this in Deuteronomy 24. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their fathers. Each is to die for his own sin. And then um, uh, the way I think you put it all together is they're talking about King Ahaziah. King Ahaziah, 1 Kings 22, did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he walked in the ways of his father and mother. So here's the way I think it works. God doesn't punish me for my father's sins, but my father's sins affect me. I mean, Jackie, we were talking about this in between. My dad kept boxes of pornography in the house. I mean, he hit him, he thought, but I got into him. I think my brother did too. And the, the, your parents' sins can affect you, but my sin is my sin. I can't blame my dad for my sins. So I think that's the best way to answer it. Well, I heard one person that gave a comment that it wasn't that we were uh, punished as children for our parents' sins, but as children we can be allowed to suffer. And yes. I think in today's age, you see that so often yeah. that children are suffering because of parents' sins. And you work in law enforcement, and you said you see that with child abuse all the time. Right. Yeah. So, okay, is it possible for a Christian to reach perfect holiness in this lifetime? Uh, the answer is no. And, and I'll, I get that from this verse, 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, O wretched man that I am, present tense, who will save me from this body of death? And Paul says, uh, I am of all men. No, how does he say it? Uh, uh, Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. So Paul the Apostle thought he was about the worst sinner on earth. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, Jackie, the more you walk with the Lord, the more you realize how far short you fall. And I think a, a, a sign of a Christian is not someone who thinks, I mean, I, I, let, me, let me give you an example. I took my kids to Bible camp one year. This old guy that ran the camp, and this was part of the holiness group, they ran the camp, he hadn't sinned for, for three months, I think. I said, three months? I think if I, if I, 
for me to go for five minutes and thought we're indeed not sinning, I'm doing pretty well. What do you mean you haven't sinned for three months? And we got it, and I showed, you know, I talked to him about this verse, but there are some Christian groups, holiness groups, that think you can go for years without sin. No offense, I just don't know what planet they're on. <laughs> they have to redefine sin to make it a conscious act or something, but who doesn't even consciously sin periodically? Okay, well, we did a series of uh, prog a couple of programs about the cults, yes. and a question has come up about knowing a Seventh-day Adventist who says we shouldn't eat pork and other certain foods because the Old Testament says we shouldn't. And they also believe that they should worship on Saturday because of the Old Testament, and they believe it's wrong for us to worship on Sunday. Yeah. What do you the think seventh, of this? You know, the Seventh-day Adventist... I would not put them in the category of Mormons or Jehovah's Witness. They do believe in the Trinity, and they do believe in Christ's death and resurrection. But some Seventh-day Adventists get so legalistic, it does become cult-like. If you worship on Sunday rather than Saturday, you've received the mark of the beast. That's one of their teachings. Uh, also, Jackie, you can't eat, you shouldn't eat pork and all this stuff because the Old Testament says you shouldn't. Well, wait a minute. The Old Testament also says we need to kill lambs when we sin. Do we still have to do that? No, because Jesus fulfilled that. Jesus also fulfilled the Old Testament food laws. If you read Mark chapter 7 verse 19, it says, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. We can eat pork. They couldn't in the Old Testament. We can because Jesus fulfilled what's called the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. So, uh, and, and then they're really big on, you need to worship on Saturday, not Sunday, because in the Old Testament they worshiped on Saturday. Well, that was given to the Old Testament Jews to worship on Saturday. In the New Testament, there's references in the New Testament, and they'll say the, the Pope did this in the 400s. No, we didn't. It's in the New Testament where they're worshiping on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. So they're trying to get us under the law of Moses that Jesus fulfilled. We're free from the law of Moses. Uh, the moral law is still don't kill, but the ceremonial law has been fulfilled. I can have a hot dog. Okay. Yeah. Pastor Breck, you talked about your radio program. Maybe this would be a good time to tell people that yeah. if you're in the metropolitan area, the Twin Cities area of Minnesota, and you're watching this TV show, Pastor Breck does do a live show on Saturdays on KKMS, which is 980 AM. He interviews people. He takes live call-in uh, questions for part of the show. And it's really an excellent program for you and your family. And it goes from 10... 11. 11 until 1, I'm yep. sorry. In the morning. In the morning, on Saturdays. And that show is repeated on Sundays, but it's not a live call-in show from 3 until 5. Mm -hmm. And if you check out our website at the end of the program, I believe you will be able to link in to even catch some TV. of our programs, but also hear the radio show? Yes, and so there is an option for you who are watching us outside of the Twin Cities area to also listen to the radio show. Um, check out our website. It's there to give you where we're at, where we're going, and what we're hoping to accomplish with our expansion. And we'd love to have you visit and check us out. We pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Pastor Study. We ask, would you pray for our ministry as we seek to spread the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ? And would you pray about supporting this ministry?
Our address is The Pastor Study, 5200 Emerson Avenue North, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55430. Our website is pastorstudy.org. And our phone number is 763-260-4484. May God richly bless you and join us next week at the same time as we study God's Word. Until then, may the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you.